Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast for December 7th or December 8th, 2021. We are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis and I am joined by Doug Battle. Doug, this show is all about fandom, and fandom has peaks and valleys, so why don't you let a little of it out before we get going into the narratives, the beautiful narratives that just always naturally happen in college football. Yeah, one recurring narrative, uh, and that's Alabama beating Georgia. But no, Mike, you know, I don't even like football that much anymore. I'm kind of over it. Football's just not, I'm more into the arts, you know? Yeah, that reminds me of when I said terrible things about a nun uh, <laughs> after the second round NCAA tournament game where I Illinois, do, I do yeah. recall that. Yeah. I do recall that. Um, yeah, you know. So, that, so that's interesting. You are, uh, rather than get angry, you are just resigned to, I don't know, getting a job as Nick Saban's pool boy, just letting it all go kind of thing. <laughs> Let it all go. No, I'll I'll be back in. You know, if we get a rematch, I'll be I'll be I'll, I'll pull up that meme of Michael Scott saying, uh, "I'm ready to get hurt again." But that, I'll be back in that position. But right now, I'm not there. I'm kind of la di da. You know, sports are sports don't matter. Got to have more perspective in life. I can't believe all these grown men think they're better than me because a bunch of 18 year olds beat another group of 18 year olds. It's all silly. Sports are silly. Like I said, I, I'm just excited for the holidays and things that can't be taken away um, at any given moment, such as an undefeated season. Okay, that that's fine. Everyone knows that's just uh, some weird sort of coping mechanism. <laughs> if you say it enough, maybe it'll be true. Okay, so look, I, I don't know. The, somehow, some way, college football and the NFL, the storylines just they just float to the top. Yeah, uh, you know, and so looking at this college football playoff, this thing looks great. You know, you you've got Nick Saban. You know, w- one more run with a Heisman, soon to be Heisman winning. He's going to win the Heisman, right? He's going to win, and he deserves it. Yeah. Okay, so with a high with a young sophomore, right? Sophomore Heisman Trophy winning well, quarterback. pun intended. There, sorry, I said, was the pun intended? No, I don't young, even. I didn't even young, catch the pun. What was the young, pun? Oh, a <laughs> young quarterback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the puns are free, <laughs> but painful. Uh, okay, so so we've we've got Alabama, who I don't know was almost written off. I mean, strangely, was almost yeah. written off in the season. And I I was saying to people, it's, it's almost like he decided he was going to save it up for Kirby, right? That he was gonna <laughs> he had a plan, and he was just going to wait. Sort of an ambush for for, for Kirby Smart, I, but I don't know if you watched the college football playoff selection show, but they had Kirby on to talk about how his team's going to prepare, blah blah blah, how they were going to bounce back from the loss, and then immediately after they had Nick Saban on, and when it cut to it cut the screen cut immediately from Kirby Smart to Nick Saban, and Nick Saban he doesn't like to smile, 
he had the smuggest little half smile on his face for about 30 minutes of talking. I mean, he was just sitting there like, I did it again. Yeah. Like, I own you, Kirby. I own you. And everyone still knows it. And they, they tried to write me off, but they just can't do it. Well, look, and we don't get into the X's and O's here, but it was interesting to me because I thought, I thought Georgia's, uh, you know, Alabama's wide receiver talent is off the chart, I think. Always. Um, and I thought Georgia's defensive backs would be able to run with them. And it seemed like, and look, you know, it, one of the things that people, I think everyone gets this, but people don't appreciate this. You know, over the course of a season, there's ups and downs. And there's a rhythm to things. And so going into that game, you know, Georgia on that great run, frankly, and, and look, I, I, I hated to do it to you, but I, I picked Alabama when we talked last yeah. week. I'm actually, you know, not to skip ahead, I'm picking Georgia to win the national championship. I mean, I just think there's a rhythm and a pattern to these things. And that was Alabama's best shot. And they're going to have to yeah. deal with Georgia's best shot. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I do think I, I was thinking about it during the game. Like Mike was so right about this, um, and part of me feels like I, I would have been smart enough if I'd been objective to to make the right call. But I don't know. I'm usually like I normally pick Alabama in those games. I normally pick against Georgia. Um, if you told me that Georgia was going to come out and not even try to put pressure on the quarterback, as far as like their their defensive game plan, I would have definitely picked Alabama. But Nevertheless, um, Alabama played a heck of a game. They outcoached Georgia by a mile. Um, their receivers looked like professionals, whereas our defensive backs looked like high schoolers in that game. And so it, it'll be quite the narrative if they get the rematch and the national championship. But first, we got to see. I mean, Cincinnati, Bama, everyone thinks Bama's going to beat them by 50. We'll find out. Uh, Michigan, I think... Uh, against Georgia is one where people feel like Michigan really, this could be their year. Well, and, and this is what's great, right? So you've got Saban, one more run. Definitely, I don't know if Saban is considered the GOAT of college football coaching, but he's got to yes. be in the top couple if not. So, you know, cementing that GOAT, um, now suddenly Georgia has this revenge matchup, this redemption story. Cincinnati, of course, as the first non-power five conference team to play in this, representing mm -hmm. all of the all of the underdogs, been in the top five or top ten all year to the general public. They are basically an unknown team. So fighting for respect. And Michigan, man, I I gotta tell you, and I'm not I'm not proud of this, but you know, every once in a while I think we should dip into fandom culture and sort of real life fandom i cannot root for michigan I, I can i can almost get behind rooting for harbaugh until i see the michigan crowd but there's something about the michigan crowd that just sort of sets me off and this goes all the way back to my fighting illini student days uh but you know michigan's got a great story here too harbaugh trying to get over the hump you know he beat ohio state now he's in the college football playoff but god he's got a tough row right he's got yeah. to take on georgia and and um, Alabama. And, and look, yeah. this might be one of these situations where, you know, how many future pros does Michigan have? Just, you know, quickly guessing. Michigan might have 15 future pros. He's got to go through two teams that might have 40 or 50 right. future right. pros on them. Uh, so however this works out is great theater. Uh, but I got to think this is, and again, just as I was, you know, picked Alabama last week, I'm feeling Georgia going forward, Doug. I know that doesn't mean much. It doesn't mean much, but I I like to hear it. I like I like um, that there's someone out there with optimism because <laughs> the Georgia fan base, man, I don't think there's ever been a team in the college football playoff. That, I mean, usually making it into the college football playoff, it's like making the Final Four in basketball. It's mm -hmm. a huge deal, and the fan base is, is so excited. This Georgia fan base is pretty dejected going into the equivalent of the Final Four. It's like we made the Final Four by default, and everyone's over it. We're gonna lose. Kirby's never gonna change. Blah blah blah. Um, okay, that's Doug, kind of the sentiment. But, but let's say this: you played enough sports in your life. Yeah. The Georgia Bulldog team, the players, they're mad. I'm guessing. Oh yeah, no, I. I, I mean, feel they like have got to be ready to just come out of the gate explosive. You know, just explode out of the gate at this point. After that, I mean, if I'm. 
you know, I don't think Georgia's less likely to win it all than they were a week ago. Um, it's I, I think it's purely kind of optics and the fan base, but just just a really interesting observation is that it's a two game season for that fan base, and it's like the season's over already. It's like if they were going to the Birmingham Bowl, there'd be about the same level of enthusiasm <laughs> at this point. I mean, it's it's a frustrated fan base going into the playoff. I don't know that I've seen that before. Maybe Alabama 2017, which they ended up winning it all, but I know that they lost their last game of the season to Auburn um, that year. That's probably the closest thing. But hey, another fandom observation. So I went to the Georgia-Alabama game, uh, the SEC championship game this weekend, and it cracked me up. The Alabama fans, when they won that game, okay, I've been to SEC championships. Normally what happens is the team wins, and at the end the fans get, there's like this, like, wow, this is really going to happen. Everyone gets real excited. And they stay and they wait for the team to go on the podium and get the trophy and the confetti and stuff. It was like, if you've seen a movie four times and you go to watch it in theaters, and it's a Marvel movie, so there's an in-credit scene you know, after the credits, and the movie ends, and you're not wowed by it. You've seen it four times. You, you know, the shock ending wasn't exactly shocking. And you just kind of, people get out of their seats and they leave and they're like, yeah, there's the end credit scene, but we've already seen that too. Um, that was the Alabama fans. They literally left the SEC championship as a touchdown underdog to the number one team in the country, upset, their best player just won the Heisman, and the majority of the crowd leaves, Alabama crowd leaves before the trophy's presented. And it was like they had just been to a movie. It's like the credits were rolling, there, and they were just kind of like shrugging it, like, "Yeah, that was that was cool. That was okay, fun." So, Doug, you um, you went to the game. You were wearing a Georgia jersey, I assume. Right. What number, by the way, and what name? Um, three girly. It's okay. you know pre nil. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You were sitting on the Alabama side, right? I was. Yes, but What's it was the... 50 percent Georgia fans. It was probably twenty five percent Georgia fans in the Alabama section. What's it like sitting in that kind of hostile territory or they just didn't even care? Yeah, it, it wasn't hostile. Um, and I've been, you know, going back years back when Alabama was hungry, uh, Georgia, Alabama, 2008, I sat in the Alabama section, most miserable day of my life. We get blown out at home. Their fans are, they're realizing Saban's going to be a champion. You know, this is, we're going to have championships. We're finally going to get over the hump. And they were in my face. They were laughing. They were trying to make me cry. You know, I was a little boy. Um, they, it was it was miserable, and I hated them. This game, like I sat next to two Alabama fans. We sorry, Doug. Can we do the math on that? You were a little boy, two thousand and eight, thirteen years ago. Twelve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're picking, um, they picking on a twelve-year-old SEC football, yeah. folks. Yeah. Um. It was horrible, and. Yeah, now I'm I'm sitting. You know, I rode into the game on the Marta with uh, some some Bama folks, and we talked, and it was all civil. And then during the game, I sat next to some guys, and one of them graduated Alabama. He's now living in Birmingham, and you know, we talked. That's my hometown. We talked, and you know, it was very civil. And I, I got to say, I respect um, fans that are able to enjoy the game and not be a complete jerk to the person sitting next to them, because we've all had with every fan base, we've had experiences. And I know people have had negative ones with the Georgia fan base as well, um, where there's there's just fans that are jerks, and when they win, they're jerks about it. When they lose, they're they want to fight you, and it's just annoying. So it was nice to be around a civil group, um, but it was also kind of funny because it was like, like I said, it was like they were watching. It was like we were all watching a movie we'd seen before, and so the fact that the quote unquote like l- unlikely thing happened that Bama won, it was just kind of like. It was like if you go to a Harlem Globetrotters game and they beat the Washington Generals. It was like, yeah, that was cool. I mean, you know, it's what I expected. It was, it was entertaining. It had its moments. It had the funny little part where the guy pulled the guy's pants down or, you know, dribbled between the guy's legs or shot it from half court. It was cool. It was funny. I'm not going to psychologically analyze you, but these are clearly, this is all coping. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> this is a reasonable, uh, it, it's a reasonable, this cope, which you know, is I'll probably this, pretty healthy. It, it was probably more enjoyable to watch that game in the Alabama section as a Georgia yeah. fan than in the Georgia section as a Georgia fan, because I wasn't dealing with 
everyone, what are we doing? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? The coach, you know, they need to pull the quarterback. The coach doesn't know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. Constant complaining. It was pretty, uh, you know, I, I kept a level head. I was with my mom. We were we were down 21, figuring out how we could still win the game and, and truly, you know, thinking it was a legitimate possibility. Um, that's how I watch football games. So I had a good time, but it, as good a time as you can have in that kind of game. It would have been the best day ever if we'd beaten them. Whereas for them, it was like, yeah, it was a cool, it was a fun day. Yeah, um, but you know, us. let's let's come back to the facts of life here. You know, this was uh, this was Alabama playing for their life, and this was actually yeah. a, this was a meaningless game to Georgia in a way, right? It's that Georgia Not had already fans. clinched Not the college fans. football playoff. Yeah, I think our odds of winning it all, having to play Bama in the playoff, as opposed to like Notre Dame, um, significantly significantly shot so well, I, I think it was meaningful D- in that way doug i pulled up the point spreads for the uh first round and alabama 13 and a half point favorite over cincinnati georgia a seven point favorite over michigan in it's amazing because georgia Alab- three that alabama number is enormous for i mean for the college it's football enormous playoff, but i mean it's enormous but are you going to take the under um look I mean, having seen what Bama's done over the years to Oklahoma and, uh, you know, on, on multiple occasions, Ohio State or Notre Dame, that's who I was going to say on multiple not, occasions. Look, I'm not betting against the SEC, and it comes back to that that point I made before. The way I tend to look at this stuff is future pros. And yeah. like I said, you know, Georgia and Alabama are NFL rosters. You know, there's probably more guys going to play in the pros than are not going to play in the pros. Yeah, so, for sure. And that's what the SEC has evolved to. And so I don't know how you pick against those those teams at all. I I would not be surprised if Georgia really just totally laid Michigan out. That Michigan couldn't couldn't. I run would love with them. to see it. We'll see. We'll see. I think it's. I personally think it's going to be a tight one, but we will see. Um, I, Mike, I got a question for you. I know you're big with, with the NFL being a quarterback's league. We talk about this all the time, how last year, for example, the Super Bowl comes down to Tom Brady and Mahomes. It's almost like it doesn't matter who else is on your team. If you have a top quarterback, you're a contender. If you don't, you're not. Um, college football is a little bit different. We've seen that all year with Georgia being the number one team with the walk-on at quarterback, Alabama being kind of the NFL model of always having an elite quarterback in these championship games. It seems like regardless of how the season's gone for both teams, the team with the better quarterback almost always wins. Um, and, and as a Georgia fan, seeing that with Georgia's had the best defense in the country almost every year. And it doesn't matter if it was uh, Jalen hurts to a tongue of Iloa, Joe Burrow, Mac Jones, uh, and now Bryce Young, it seems as though it doesn't matter how good your defense is when you're playing a Heisman-level quarterback, they're going to tear you up. Even Baker Mayfield tore up Georgia's defense, um, and, and Georgia just won a shootout in that one. But uh, how, how much do you think in the playoff you, know, you, you can make picks just purely based on quarterbacks, you know, looking at the quarterback situation for each team and thinking, okay, a big game's going to come down to at some point you're going to be in a position where it's tough and you've got to make big plays. And one team has a guy that uh, can easily do that, it seems, and the other team, you know, might struggle in that area. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, what Doug's alluding to is we've done some research here where we've looked at NFL quarterback performance, trying to control for surrounding talent, and the the results have been fairly shocking. You know, the the logic has always been, oh, you got a great. You know, you got Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville. Now you got to get him a running game and a couple of wide receivers. Mm-hmm. What the NFL data suggests is that the quarterback performance is almost independent. And so the 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 counter narrative, the example I always use, like to bring up is Ben Roethlisberger loses Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, and he's still about the same Ben Roethlisberger. And suddenly people are talking about Juju Juju Smith Schuster, yeah. Schuster Smith. <laughs> as a potential all-pro, right? At the college level, I don't know, Doug. And and let me ask, you know, maybe this is more of a discussion than uh, an answer. You know, Stetson, has has Stetson played a lot of football 
before this year. I mean, you know, you know, sometimes uh, you know, the, you go back to those parcel rules about experience, well, and so can Stetson make up for the fact that he's I don't know twenty twenty two now, and Bryce Young is nineteen. But that being said, God, Bryce Young, where they where they call him? I assume they're calling him Ice Young, you know, because he I he seems unflappable. That, that would be a good nickname. <laughs> um, I, did you just coin that on the spot? I I truly truly doubt it. I watched so much college <laughs> football last Saturday that I'm sure someone said it. Um, but yeah, uh, and, and you know, Dr Pepper and your I watched all these games, Dr Pepper and your football flipping contest. Move that back to 20 yards. Make them throw the ball, please. Or, or don't do any throwing and have them play uh, the, old, the old drill that every coach or every high school football player, elementary school football player ever played, the Oklahoma drill, <laughs> and, and see who really wants the money. <laughs> I, I that was a tweet I saw, by the way. I, I couldn't agree more. Dr. Pepper. I would love to see it. Just a fight to the, it's almost like Squid Game. Yeah. Million dollars on the line in front of everybody. Dr. Pepper sponsored football edition. Nobody dies. I, I you know, it, Dr. Pepper has done too much in terms of their <laughs> branding. It was the Dr. Pepper this, the Dr. Pepper that. You were almost wondering, like Kirby Smart, the Dr. Pope, the Dr. Pepper Georgia football coach competing yeah. against Nick Saban, the Alabama doctor. It <laughs> was. You know, marketing is is simple in some ways, but in other ways, you know, you can kind of make yourself look bad when you just too too much. I don't know, but I want to see a brand do the Oklahoma drill for like a million dollars. We um, all do, Doug. In, in front of a stadium of people. <laughs> what brand would do that? Would that be like Monster, <laughs> Monster Energy <laughs> drinks? Or, I don't know. I don't. Does Crypto dot com do that one? <laughs> They've been all over the sports world lately. Um, but getting back to Stetson, you know. He, honestly, if we're being objective, he's played more football than Bryce Young at the college level uh, because Bryce Young's a second-year freshman because of COVID or redshirt or whatnot. Um, so I don't, I don't know if it's an experience thing as much as like Bryce Young was and has been. I mean, he was the number one quarterback in the country in high school. He's, he's that guy. I mean, he's been pegged as the next Russell Wilson for years. Stetson's a guy that has come into... And don't get me wrong, I, I still to this day I want to see Stetson win a national championship because it's like we're watching a movie in real time with him. And even this, it feels like part of the movie. The big setback. Now the fans want him pulled. They want the other guy. Um, what a storyline it would be for for him to win the whole thing. And, and it is possible. And to beat you, the number one quarterback out of high school who just won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, great that, story. That w- yeah, it would be great. Um, so I'm still I'm still rooting for him and rooting for that. Don't get me wrong, I love Stetson Bennett. Uh, but you know, if we're talking objectively here, not getting into the storyline and, and the sentiment I have for him, um, you've got a guy that was never really supposed to be the starter. He was he was the scout team guy. You know, he was pretending to be Maker, Baker Mayfield four years ago in practice for the Rose Bowl, and he transferred to a junior college and didn't get any offers. He couldn't go play at UAB or at South Carolina or like any level um, that you would think maybe he would. And I honestly thought he should have, but that's just me. So he comes back to Georgia when Justin Fields transfers just because he knows the offense and they need someone to throw the ball to receivers in practice. Um, Jamie Newman last year comes in. JT Daniels comes in. Daniels stays hurt. Newman opts out. And Stetson, by default, kind of ends up being the guy. Everyone thought it was a disaster. And here we are again, number one team in the country. JT Daniels gets hurt. Stetson comes in. So he, he was never pegged to even be a starter. It's okay. more, much less like the next Russell Wilson. So, Doug, tell me, I, I would assume then that the Georgia Twitter verse Gosh. Is, has done some deep analysis of how Kirby <laughs> Smart doesn't know how to manage quarterbacks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would assume um, that that's – there's a segment of the fan base that is talking a lot about Jake Fromm, you know, and, and Justin, Justin Fields, Fields Jake Fromm, week. Jacob Eason, yeah. um, and now this. Yeah, that's that's the. There's people saying if he doesn't make a change, we're never going to win one. Um, if if you know JT's going to go win the Heisman for uh, who knows uh, one of our rivals in at Florida next year, who knows? Um, that's that's definitely the 
the fan analysis, the fanalytics of of uh, of Georgia fans at the moment. Doug, you shouldn't make fun of our brand. <laughs> hey, I'm not making fun. It just was a perfect, you know, it was like product placement there. Beautiful. Product placement. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you know, before we move to uh, MLB and the lockout, anything, I mean, I guess we got a couple of, we now go into this sort of strange part of the college football season, right? Where you hear about all sorts of strange bowl games, you know, the pool and weed oh, yeah. is always the classic yeah. example. Yeah. Uh, at this point with the college football playoff, these things just don't resonate with me too much. Uh, it seems like we're all just now going to wait till January one for college football to start up again. I know it's weird, but it used to be kind of like bowl games were at least, I don't know, maybe I was naive, but I thought they were a big deal. Um, but now they're all kind of like glorified spring games mm-hmm. or you st- a lot of the players opt out. So you start, to, I mean, last year for Georgia, they, they probably had all of their NFL guys opt out. And so you, you got your first glimpse of next year's team. So it felt like a spring game. Um, but I like them in the sense of it's fun to see how the conference is, where they stand. Because uh, all year you just see them play themselves. You don't get to see them against other conferences. And then I like the bizarre branding of it. The Like you said, the Weed Eater Bowl. and um, I know Auburn's playing in the Birmingham Bowl, which is hilarious because it's just such a joke. And that's also where the Auburn fan base is primarily located. Well, then at least someone will show up. I mean, you know, this, yeah. you know so many of these games look like they've got 15,000 people in the stadium, right? I might go just to pull against Auburn. I think that'd be fun. Who's Auburn playing in that one? I don't even know. Let me <laughs> <laughs> Let me look. Auburn, for those of you that just are wear your Georgia jersey, the Auburn people will get what you mean. Okay, Doug. Other big news, at least big news in terms of what's been causing my phone to ring in terms of media requests, are the MLB lockout. Mm-hmm. You, um, as a relatively young guy, you probably don't remember a lot of this, but it used to. I mean, just about for your entire life, there's been labor peace in major league baseball where there hasn't been a lockout or strike since I think 1995 or 1996. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, there was a lockout or a strike every time the CBA expired. This one looks like it's going to be a tough negotiation with the owners locking the players out December, December 2nd, I think was the official date. And so we had, and I think everyone knew it was coming, right? We had this big run up, I think one, 1.5 or $1.6 billion in contracts signed. And then the whole thing gets shut down. Uh, What's the, what, what's holding everything up? What, what's causing this lockout? Okay. Well, when I think about the CBAs, I tend to think about them as a fundamental, on a fundamental level in terms of, you know, this is, this is just how they, the owners and the players divide things up. Right, it's the mm-hmm. rules of the game, but it's all motivated by who wants essentially the amount of money that each side is going to make. So the owners want things like an expanded postseason. Now I don't know how you feel about that. I think baseball used to be classier when it was really when it was just you know the NL East playing the the, the sorry the NL East playing the NL West, and the winner goes to the World Series. Right, so this just you know four teams in the playoffs. Now it's more complicated and they want to expand it even further, right? And it makes sense, right? Because where's the money at in most of these games? Postseason. It's in the postseason. That's where the TV sets are tuned in. It's almost like they'd rather the whole season be the postseason. Yeah. Well, in in baseball, the season, I mean, baseball historically, the whole season was so long that maybe the postseason could be be shorter. Now, what the players want is kind of interesting. And it's interesting to me in terms of how it lines up with what might be good for the game and good for the fans. The players are concerned with things like how long you have, how much service you have to put in to become a free agent. Just out of curiosity, you know how long you have to be a free agent, uh, uh, years of service to be a free agent in Major League Baseball, Doug? I would guess three. Six. Six, okay. Okay, and so you think about what, what's a good professional career in terms of length. I don't know, eight years, six years, eight years? That seems like a healthy MLB career, doesn't it? I'll take a one-year contract. Yeah, so we, we're in a situation where the Major League Baseball teams have essentially 
control over salaries for a good chunk of the players' careers. And look, this is the same thing in all these leagues. Like the, in the NFL, right? you can lock up the guy for, I think, three years on the first contract and options to get it to five, something like that. So those kind of players are cost-controlled players. Mm-hmm. And so the players want to loosen those restrictions so they can start to get paid earlier. Now, where this comes into play in terms of the competitive dynamics and how it affects the fans is baseball has definitely moved to this system where for the small market teams, it's almost like they're, you know, the, what was the, what did the 76ers call their deal, Doug, when they're tanking? The, uh, was it the process? The process. I think it was the the process. process? Trust the process. And so you have all these clubs essentially trusting the process. So if I'm (laughs) Pittsburgh or I'm Cleveland, I'm going to trust the process. I'm going to get some players in. I'm going to, when I finally get the young talent in, I'm going to ride that young talent for five years, six years. Maybe I'll make a playoff run. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let them go, right? Right, yeah. And then I'm going to go back to losing 100 games. And so they, they've designed a system where it's almost inevitable that you're going to see, you're going to see small market teams paying you know $50 million rosters and big market teams paying $200 million rosters with the small market teams trying to win every once in a while and the big market teams trying to win consistently. Now, in a nutshell, that's, that's what it is. It's this desire for cost-controlled players versus the player's desire for a bigger share. So how, how do we come to an agreement here? How, how do the players and the owners resolve this? What does that look like? Well, you know, something I don't know. You know, you tell me what you think. Who's got more power right now? Well, that's what I was thinking about over here because it's not like the play. They both need each other. That's the thing. The owners, they can't go get me and you and, and fill out a team for the New York Yankees of, of the next. <laughs> we're not the next tier of baseball players, but the next tier of athletes and put them out there and sell tickets like they normally do, right? It wouldn't feel legitimate. It wouldn't, nobody would care. It'd be weird. Um, replacement, players, though, play, replacement players. You're too young to remember replacement players. Yeah, like in the the NFL think, replacement bears. I remember those guys. I'm just thinking if there's like a labor strike and anything else, they probably like, they, they try to get somebody that's willing to work on their terms. Um, you can't really do that with professional sports. But on the flip side, for the, for the players, it's not like they can go... Well, let's, let's stay there for a second, because if you're the ownership, I mean, and so the tactics here are, are kind of beautiful in a way, or kind of tragic. If you're the ownership, do you want to lose opening day? No. Have a shorter season and reduce the player's salary by prorating them? Uh, well, that, look, and the answer might be no. But if you have a choice between losing opening day and losing the World Series, opening day, you want to lose opening day, right? Yeah, for sure. But on, on the player's side, it's not like they can say, you know what, we're going to form our own league and do this on our own terms, build our own stadiums. <laughs> the infrastructure is just not there for them to really do anything other than just not play. And so, you know, that's where we end up in a situation where it can be a bit of a standoff until somebody just gets antsy. Um, who knows how long this thing will take, but I've seen some Braves fans that are saying, we might be champions for life. <laughs> well, two questions, two follows on that. As you were saying, the players can't form their own league. Man, do you think the NBA players are almost close to the point where they could? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they could play them in... You know, they could play them in their own bubbles without fans to kind of reduce their sort of... You could almost that imagine Overhead. that being a, a workable solution where the top 40 NBA players form four teams and they're able to make, at least at least in the short term, some pay-per-view kind of money. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. Um, I mean, it would be a lot different as far as they want to have the brand power of the Lakers, the Celtics, and all the history that comes with that, and the arenas, and the fans, and the stands, and all that. But they do, they certainly, if LeBron and Kevin Durant headed that up, Got their buddies to follow along. They, they might let, They might they, even let Kyrie play, right? Yeah, and <laughs> and um, I feel like even college sports are at a point where the big institutions, if there was some disagreement between the NCAA and how they wanted things run, and say Alabama and Michigan and Ohio State and Georgia and Texas and Oklahoma and all those schools 
they it seems like they have enough power where they could kind of form their own league with their own regulations and their own way of doing things apart from the NCAA. Professional sports, though, especially football um, and, and baseball in this case, it, it's maybe not so simple. Um, and not that that would be a simple thing, but it just seems more plausible. The players don't seem like they're in a position to play baseball without the MLB, and the MLB doesn't seem like it can be a profitable institution without the cream of the crop, best players in the world that, that are the ones holding out. Okay, another follow-up question for you. So if, if the players don't budge and we get to spring training and negotiations are still stalled and it looks like we're going to cancel opening day or push it back a month, that would be Major League Baseball losing two out of the last three opening days. Is that... What, what's the impact on fans of that? Not good. Um, I think about young fans and the excitement of an opening day for a young baseball kid that probably plays baseball, probably plays for the Braves or whatever MLB team in their local ballpark. Um, uh, looking forward to that and the memories that are associated with that and how it builds generation, you know, fandom that's long term. Um, losing that excitement, losing uh, the experiences for so many people. It can't be a good thing for the league. Yeah, to me, it's an open question because it'd be I want, calling it weird seems like I've got a poor vocabulary, but it'd be weird, <laughs> right? It'd be something different, something unprecedented. What does it mean if a league misses two out of three? Opening days has you know two out of the last three seasons chopped in half, or you you lose a good chunk of them. You would think there's some serious long term repercussions. I don't I don't know what they are, and it I, I think one of the tough things as the analytics person in all this is it might be something that's almost impossible to measure, right? So MLB might be doing damage to itself, damaging the brand, but it's hard to assess it. Right, and it's hard to mm -hmm. tease out what the labor strife is causing compared to what COVID is causing, or the fact that you know Generation Z wants to watch twenty-second videos rather than three-hour games. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It, it's like, how do you? It just seems wrong, but I don't know how you put a dollar figure to it. And you know, if I'm the if I'm the owners looking at the long-term prospects, right? Baseball with this relatively older fan base. Do you feel like you've got to have this fight and shift the economics more in your favor going forward? I, mean, I think there's always this danger that you go too far and you end up damaging the game. I, you know, I'm, I'm in some ways I can think about it. I can lay out the incentives and people are behaving rationally, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know who the white hats are in this one. I don't know. It, it will be interesting to see how it plays out and um, also the effects on other leagues. Let's say there's not MLB for a bit early in the summer. Like, does NBA playoffs, do they benefit from that uh, in NHL playoffs there? Um, what fills the void? Because it seems as though there's always something that fills the void. When <laughs> Coverage of the NFL fans. draft, Doug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe so. Maybe that's what it is. Um, that wouldn't be unprecedented. We'll get a, a extra dose of Mel Kuyper Jr. talking yeah. quarterbacks. Okay, Doug. So relatively short episode this week. The other thing I want to note, and again, we don't have to talk about it too much. Uh, recently, we've been talking about this Next Generation Fandom Survey throughout the entire fall. And again, mm -hmm. more insights keep coming out. A lot of like, tremendously fascinating results to me. I've learned a lot about fandom by going out there and surveying the fans. The latest one we took a look at, that I took a look at in some depth, was esports fandom. Now, Doug, I don't think you're a big esports guy. You got any interest in it whatsoever? And look, this is this is a valid question in all this. You're a traditional sports fan. Do you bleed into esports or not? I'm not, but hey, I'll say this. Um, I've read some interesting things because I am a little bit of a crypto guy, a little bit of a crypto bro, and there, there's a huge overlap coming, uh, it seems, with if not already, with cryptocurrencies and, and gaming, uh, where there will essentially be kind of pay-for-play, pay-for-winning types of 
of gaming experiences. You know, if I can make some money playing some games that are fun and enjoyable to pass the time and relax, um, you know, maybe I will be an esports guy. But at this point, you I don't. Think, I don't follow. You think you got that level of skills? I mean, from the esports folks, I know you're you're old, man. You're, you're, <laughs> I am old, and I didn't grow up playing like I don't know all those games. I played Madden in, in NBA 2K. So well, you know, and, na- and now Bitcoin there's a 14 year old the- that can press those Madden buttons a lot faster than you can. Yeah, if he puts some Bitcoin on the line for uh, 2K, I'll be you know I'll be all over it. So well, I'll, I'll I'll get my practice reps in. It's kind of interesting where you went with that. So the the reason I did this deeper dive into esports fandom is that one of the stunning results that came out of this is that if you looked at Generation Z, young men in Generation Z expressed weaker fandom than young women in Generation Z. And I think we talked a little bit about this on a previous episode. That's striking, right? Mm -hmm. Sports have always been the the domain, or men have been the, the key segment for sports. And so this reversal suggests something is happening. And, it, and it's, not, it's not just in terms of sports. Earlier this fall, there was a significant story that got a lot of coverage that young men weren't going to college, that young women were now 60% of undergraduate college students. Young, and so 60 to 40% doesn't sound like that much, but when then you realize that's actually a two-to-one ratio. And so looking at the sports rate, the, the fandom for sports, the, the, the immediate conclusion was somehow young men are ending up being alienated from these cultural institutions, whether it's colleges or whether it's rooting for NFL or MLB teams. Now, the one sport that didn't, and you can almost, you, I'm almost foreshadowing the next question I'm going to ask you, Doc, here. The one sport, quotation marks, that didn't show a preference for young women having a higher preference than young men was eSports. And so the, the question to me was, is alienation from mainstream cultural institutions pushing boys into their bedrooms, onto the internet, into cyberspace? And so is that that more resilient fandom for that sector based on alienation, or is there something else going on? Is it just a fundamentally different product? And so, Doug, whenever I teach sports analytics, sports marketing, we talk esports, students love it, but the topic always comes up. Is it a sport? Is esports, video games, a sport? I personally don't view it as one. Um, I know a lot of esports enthusiasts, some that we may be friends with on the show here, <laughs> that would disagree with that statement. But uh, at the moment, no, I, I don't. I don't view it that way. But I will say, you, you kind of touched on something. Like, is there something else going on here? I was thinking. And, and not that cryptocurrency and esports are necessarily correlated, but there does seem like there's more of a draw to men like my age, especially to these kind of online worlds like the crypto bros and esports and all these kind of newer developments. Um, I don't know. It's like a car guy thing. Like there's like a type of guy that is just naturally drawn to those things. I don't know if the real world just rejects them so much that, <laughs> that they, they find an outlet that doesn't um, discriminate in their eyes or if they're, I don't know what it is, but, uh, but you know, esports, there's, there's certainly a phenomenon like across my generation. So that would be Gen Z slash younger millennial um, it, where I, I see every day there's, there's guys more prone to spend their time either gaming or trading currencies, um, spend their time on screens, on computers, not interacting in a social way uh, per se, but but kind of operating in these new realms that, that are digital. Okay, now, we did not discuss this before the mm. show, did we? No. Okay. What you're saying is really kind of striking. So if you, if you, if you go to the, our website, www.fandomanalytics.com, you can find the full eSports report. You can find all the other next-generation fandom uh, reports and materials. One of the things that I did end up spending some time looking at was correlations in 
fandom. So people that were fans of esports, did they tend to be fans of other things? One of the lowest correlations, esports fans tend not to be football fans. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, and it's kind of, you know, you, you're as you're discussing it, you're kind of hitting on very similar thoughts that I had, that there is almost a, and so if I'm looking at what esports is most correlated to in terms of other sports, it tended to be things like hockey and soccer. Okay. So I was talking to our friend Todd Harris from Skillshot, an esports production company, and we were discussing it. Is it that those games are almost more similar? Continuing action, fast pace, following the puck, following the basketball. Is there a structure that some sports, you know, are more similar to esports? And that's that's a product preference versus baseball and football where it's discrete events and discrete actions. Okay. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Could also be sort of a cultural phenomena, right? I, throughout my career, Doug, as a marketing guy, whenever I've delved into things like politics or sports, sometimes I feel like we come back to high school. That there really are kind of two segments. There's the band and the theater kids, and there, there's the football players and the cheerleaders. And yeah. a lot of what I see in the marketplace, a lot of how I see people vote, a lot of things with sports suggest to me that that's kind of an ongoing dynamic. But all that being said, I did ask some questions about other aspects of the culture, and esports fandom is enormously correlated with interest in cryptocurrencies and in the brand Tesla. I, you know, I almost said electric vehicles. Like I, I mentioned car guys, um, but there's, there is like a, a segment of people that you feel like because they're all interested in Tesla and, and maybe some competitors um, that they're more prone to well, I trade. Think they, do you think they all want to be Elon Musk? Sort of the real life Iron maybe. Man? Yeah, the real life Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, Elon Musk is a lot quirkier than than Tony Stark, but um, and and he's he's an interesting figure too because he's someone that's hated by a lot of people um, and apparently kind of a role model to a lot of other people. But that that's we could do a whole podcast on Elon Musk and, and the kind of Elon Musk fandom slash anti fandom. He's well, almost you know the well, new Donald Trump, LeBron James, divisive person. Okay, well. I think we're definitely doing an Elon Musk Tesla fandom show in the future. So I'm going to pull you back from this because this is, this is good stuff and well worth investigating in terms of the cultural point of view. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I get what you're coming from. I do think it's multidimensional though, because this gamer culture, this technology, this innovation kind of, and probably a little bit of the personality in terms of how he interacts with people on, on places like Twitter and social media, I think he kind of sums up a lot of what's underlying the esports phenomena. That that's mm-hmm. what those kids are and those fans are into: innovation, technology, kind of having a voice, social media presence. So it's uh, that that's a that's a good one. And I'm not going to say that Elon Musk is a you know, it's interesting, right? Is is Elon Musk an important figure in the culture or is he important because of the way the culture has chosen him as a brand to to get behind? The other thing I'll share with you is broke down esports fandom. We looked at celebrities on the celebrities that esports, male esports fans and Gen Z liked and female esports fans liked. And Doug, even though... There's a lot of, you know, a lot of concern. People don't want to touch the word gender. The celebrity groups had zero overlap. So the folks that the young men really liked and had a high preference for, completely different than the group that the young women uh, were fans of. At the top of the, the list for the men, it was people like Mike Tyson. It was the brand Tesla. It was Michael Jordan. On the female side, it was uh, Donald Trump was on that side of the, on the ledger. Mm-hmm. On the female side, Megan Rapino was number one. Um, the the men's the male group was a hundred percent male celebrities and a couple of brands. The female group was sixty percent female, so a little bit more balanced. Uh, Bernie Sanders ended up on the female group, so incredible differences for. 
across the genders based on, you know, while they have this similarity in, in place in terms of being esports fan, intense esports fans, very different pre- pre- preferences across the culture. Yeah. And, and that research is all available on the website. That's correct. Yeah. Fandomanalytics.com. You just sort of, you know, there's a, it's linked in a couple of places, but it's uh, the the report is explicitly linked in the uh, I forget what I called the blog post, but the the esports report. Okay, the esports report that that's got a nice ring. <laughs> okay, Doug. So I, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Uh, you know, a great great time of year as the holidays come through. It's kind of interesting, right? Because there there is definitely a a feel to the sports calendar. College football will disappear a little bit, sort of go low level for the next couple of weeks. Right. The NFL playoff hunt really starts to starts to kick in. We get near Christmas, which is in some ways, I don't know about you. I kind of like that Christmas seems to be almost the unofficial start to the NBA with those big <laughs> Christmas matchups. Christmas Day games. It's almost like everything pre-Christmas is preseason, even though it officially is not. Um, but Christmas certainly starts to kind of ramp up the NBA season, the playoff hunt, things start to take shape. Rosters take their final forms as the trade deadline approaches. Um, absolutely. I think NBA is strongly associated with Christmas and, and Christmas day. Don't even know who's playing those games this year, but I'm sure we'll see a hundred advertisements between now and then. There is a, one of the games I had, uh, I had breakfast with one of the folks at the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks versus the New York Knicks is one of the games. You know, and how beautiful is that? You, you know exactly where that comes from. That comes Oh yeah. That playoff exact, series. That playoff series and the Trey Young is balding and <laughs> whatever they were chanting. It was, you know, the, the, again, this is sort of the, how the how these legends are created. It's like Trey Young is the next uh Reggie Miller, I think. <laughs> He's just the the villain to the Knicks fan and, and yeah. the hero to the Hawks. Good thing to be. Okay, so why don't we wrap it up here? As always, folks, thanks for listening and more content at www.fandomanalytics.com.